In the, in the last few messages of our uh, cultivating series, we focused on the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And specifically, the first part of, of the fruit of the Spirit is a special divine type of love that we call agape love. Now, agape love is, is, is the kind of love that God shows to us. It's the, the kind of love that God calls us to show each other as well, as followers of Christ. In fact, as one commentator put it, love contains the whole of all that God desires and requires of us. Kind of makes the gospel simple, doesn't it? it loving others as Christ loves us is a big deal. It's a non-negotiable. In John's gospel, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And when, when Christians love each other, it shows who they belong to. It, it points people to, to Jesus. Loving others as Christ loves us is a big deal. In his first letter, John goes one step further and he makes an even more powerful statement about what happens when Christians love one another. In, in 1 John, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What's John saying? He's, he's saying God becomes visible through our love for one another. No one has ever seen God, but, it, but if we love one another, the implication is they'll see God. It, it seems that John's implying that our love for one another makes visible the love of God, which is just another way of saying seeing God himself, since God is love. You know, when Christians love each other in practical, sacrificial, costly, barrier-dissolving ways, then the love of God or rather, the God who is love, can be seen. You know, of course, this raises another question. What happens when we don't love each other as Christ loves us? No small matter, is it? You know, it, it betrays our connection to Christ, and, and it hides the reality of God and his love from a world that so desperately needs it. But the question then is, how do we learn to love like God loves us? Well, before we try to answer that question, let me remind you of just what agape love looks like. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, page 971 of the Congregational Bible. It's a blue book underneath the chair in front of you, somewhere around you. This morning, feel free to open five or six copies. <laughs> Lots of them are around. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. This is our second week in 1 Corinthians. Last week we looked at the barriers to love like God. You know, for example, we noticed that you, you can't love like God if you're proud or self-seeking or quick-tempered or envious. And God's love is, has none of these self-seeking, prideful impulses corrupting it. Let's take a few moments to look what a, at, at what agape love is. Beginning with verse 4 we read, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And first of all, love is patient. Some translations say long-suffering. I love that word. I wish we could still use it as much as it used to be used. It could be translated as long-tempered. Of course, we don't use that phrase. We commonly talk about being short-tempered, but being long-tempered has never made it into the English language for some reason. Maybe that gives us a little bit of a clue as to why we should be long-tempered. The Greek word applies to more, more to people than to circumstances or to events. So, so agape love never gives up on people. The Greek word paints a picture of a person who's wronged and who has the means and the opportunity to get even, but then refuses to do so. Shows restraint. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up trouble. Love overlooks the wrongs that others do. Love overlooks the wrongs that others do to us. Instead of fighting back, we overlook. We show patience. Love doesn't seek revenge, especially when we have the power and the opportunity to get it. Love is patient. It puts up with and prays for those who are difficult. Now, let me just underline something before we go on. Being patient with someone isn't the same way as looking the other way or pretending that nothing's happened. You can be patient and still lovingly make corrections. Now, think about it. What does it mean to be patient with a small child? Does it mean being silent when they make mistakes and do things that hurt others or themselves or put them in danger? Is that being loving? It's exactly the opposite, right? You are patient by correcting and teaching and depending on their age, helping them to understand the seriousness of what they've done and why they shouldn't do it again. But in all of that, you continue to love and to nurture and encourage and forgive and exhibit understanding and patience. Another possible translation of this first verb could be that uh, love waits patiently. The idea here is that we're not only to be patient with the person, but we also are to acknowledge that right timing is a huge part of patiently loving one another. Being patient means we wait for the best opportunity to teach, to correct, to encourage. Timing is important, right? You know, I don't know about you, but I've rushed and crushed when I should have paused for good cause. Then a lot of rushing and crushing. Because I was more interested in, in, in correcting the situation than in the person being restored. You know, if you're like me, patience can be occasionally in short supply. Maybe take the word occasionally out of there. But remember, this is divine love produced in us. It comes through the work of the Spirit. And you can help the fruit grow by reminding yourself that you have tried other people's patience as well. Right? You have wronged others. You, you have sinned against God, and God has extended his patience to you more than you will ever know, more than you could count. So go ahead 
And ask God to supply you with the divine patience needed to honor him. But don't just focus on the patience you need. Spend time also reminding yourself of how patient God has been and continues to be with you. Humble yourselves and your patience will grow. Next, we need to be kind. Love is kind. That's more than just being nice. The word literally means to be useful. To be kind is to be useful to someone else. It it goes one step further than being patient. To be patient is to endure the wrongs of others without striking back. To be kind is not only to endure the wrongs of others, but then to be helpful to them. Jesus tells us in Luke 6, And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And we're called to do the same. You know, we're called to be helpful even when there's nothing in it for us, when there's no guarantee of return. We're called to be helpful, period. Our love must prompt us to action. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's a verse for today, for our times. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word the NIV translates as easy in verse 30 is the same word translated as kind in 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus is saying that his yoke is kind. In Jesus' day, they would yoke a young, inexperienced oxen with a strong, experienced one. The experienced oxen would be yoked tightly. And the inexperienced oxen would be loosely tied to the yoke. That way, the young, inexperienced oxen would be able to gain strength and experience while the other oxen did most of the work. To be kind is to come alongside someone else and make their load easier. It's to love while showing others how to love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now let's look at verse 7. Love is, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Notice the word always. It's kind of hard not to notice it. It's repeated with every one of these verbs for emphasis. Now, some people look at this verse and they think that Paul's saying that love is being a doormat. It's about us putting up with all things always, no matter what. And there's a sense in which that's true. You know, clearly, we're called to love beyond what we would usually call reasonable in human terms. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. We just read that passage. We are to forgive 70 times 7 and so on. 
But that doesn't mean that we just roll over and take it until the Lord returns. Again, think about God's love. After all, we're talking about his love. We're talking about the kind of love that he gives to us and us imitating that kind of love to each other. God's love accepts us as we are, but his love also is corrective and transformative, right? The writer of Hebrews declares, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son, as his family. Discipline and correction are acts of love. They're expressions of caring. They are necessary tendernesses that sometimes sting. Now, in verse 7, we have a, what's called a chiastic structure. In, in this case, what this means is simply this. The first and the last words, protect and persevere, point to the present struggle that love requires in our broken world. It's, it's the, where the, you know, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. The two middle words, trust and hopes, points to the future. When God's work will be fully accomplished in us. And that gives us important insight into what Paul is getting at in this verse. Protects and perseveres finds, find their strength to continue in our trust and hope in the working of Christ. It is claiming by faith that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's look quickly at these four verbs. Love always protects. The word in the NIV translates this protects literally means to cover. You know, think of the image of a roof covering your head. You know, you're covering your family. It, it means to bear, it means to carry, it means to support rather than to put up with. It's much more involved than putting up with. You know, we could say love never tires of supporting another person. You know, instead of focusing on what's wrong with someone, love focuses on what's right. Instead of criticizing the negative, love emphasizes the positive. Love does not gossip or listen to gossip. Even when a sin is certain, love tries to correct it with the least possible harm. Not by gutting them like a fish. Right? Love never protects sin, but it desires to protect the one who sins. Proverbs 10, 12 states, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Think of the cross for a moment. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. You know, with the cross, did, did God cover up our sin? No. The cross shows us just how ugly and painful our sin is. But at the same time, in the cross, God never forever covers those who trust in his son. What that means is that, that love seeks to save, not condemn. 
Love seeks to restore, not to judge. Let's move on to perseverance. Love always perseveres. Persevere is a strong word. It's a military term used of an army holding a vital position at all cost. Knowing that the battle is over if the position is lost. We could translate it, love keeps going to the end. Or love always gets the job done. Richard Armstrong in his book, Make Your Life Worthwhile, tells a story about a man in Wales who tried for 42 years to win the heart of the lady of his dreams. For more than 40 years, the persistent but rather shy man slipped a weekly love letter under his neighbor's door. She continually refused to speak to him or mend the fight that had parted them many years before. Wasn't going to have any of it. Then after writing 2,184 love letters, without ever getting a spoken or written reply, the single-hearted old man decided that perhaps he should change his tactics. So he gathered all the courage he could muster, and he knocked on the door, and he asked the lady to marry him. To his delight and surprise, she accepted The couple, both 74 at the time, became husband and wife. It took 42 years, 2,184 love letters, persistence, and the courage to have his love pay off with love returned. Love keeps going to the end. But you know what? Even if she had said no, love still would have gone to the end and love still would have paid off because of what it did in him. Now, the reason why love can always persevere is because of the next two aspects of love. Love always perseveres because we trust and hope in what God can and will do through Christ. Moving on to the first of these two aspects of love that helps us to endure. Love always trusts. Trust is the common New Testament word for believes. Love always believes. Love, love never loses faith. We can translate this, translate this. Love always gives the benefit of the doubt. Our love is never cynical or suspicious. It's never cynical or suspicious. It's to think the best of someone, not the worst. How unlike our culture today, right? Job's friends weren't particularly good at a love that trusts. They believed the worst about him. They blamed all of his suffering, all of his problems on his sin. You know, they certainly didn't give Job the benefit of the doubt because they had no true love for him. And And they were wrong in their assumptions. The religious leaders of Jesus' day suffered from the same lack of Christ-like love. You know, they, they tended to see the worst in others, including Jesus. In Luke 5, when Jesus forgave the paralytic of his sins, the Pharisees immediately concluded that he was blaspheming. Luke 5.21. Jesus counters the charge by healing the man, thus giving proof of his claim. Most of the crowd were convinced and glorified God, verse 26. 
But we know from their latter words and actions that the scribes and the Pharisees remained convinced that Jesus was evil. Hatred believes the worst, but love believes the best. But Paul isn't saying that love always believes the best about people. You know, such a statement doesn't ring true with our experience, does it? You know, love doesn't magically turn off our logic and discernment. Discernment dictates that there are times that we cannot believe the best about a person. There are times when we can't give the benefit of the doubt because there is no doubt. But even then, love compels us to trust. Even then. You see, the point Paul is making here is that love never loses faith. It never loses faith in what God is doing and what God can do. So even in those times when you can't trust the person, you can trust God who is at work in the person. Make sense? Love always hopes. We come to hope. This is another future-facing aspect of love. Christ followers look forward, not back, knowing that God is at work in every person, knowing that everyone is a work in progress. Hope believes that good will eventually come to those who may be failing now. You know, let's face it, failure is found in every Christian's life. But there's always hope. Not based on the Christian but on Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand. They will. For the Lord is able to make them stand. Instead of judging, love hopes. You know, love hopes in the Lord, for it is the Lord and only the Lord who can make each one of us stand. The Lord is at work in each one of us. Christ is the one who has promised to finish the work that he began. John MacArthur comments, Even when belief in a loved one's goodness or repentance is shattered, love still hopes. When when it runs out of faith, it holds on to hope. As long as God's grace is operative, human failure is never final. There are more than enough promises in the Bible that make love hopeful. Love bears what otherwise is unbearable. It believes what otherwise is unbelievable. It hopes in what otherwise is hopeless. And it endures when anything less than love would give up. Love refuses to take failure as final. In Matthew 18, we read, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Love always trusts. It forgives. It it continues to forgive because it refuses to take failure as final. Agape love never gives up on people. 
It's patient and kind. It always, it's always protecting. It's always trusting. It's always hoping. It's always persevering. It's the kind of love that God has for us. But is that the kind of love that we give each other? If you're anything like me, the polite answer is some days. I'd like to think that I'm working on it. But nowhere near am I where I need to be with this. It's a safe assumption that regardless of our maturity level, we all need to grow in this fruit of agape love. But how do we do that? Let me just spend the rest of our time together giving you a couple of, of practical suggestions on how to grow in your love. First of all, depend on God. Remember, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I've already mentioned that once, but I, I keep thinking we need to underline what grace is about. The grace not only to be forgiven, but the grace that produces fruit in our lives. We can only produce the fruit of love if we're abiding in Christ. Without abiding in Christ, we can produce no good thing, Jesus himself says. We must depend on God. In 1 John 4, 9, John puts it this way. We love because he first loved us. We can love with a love like God's only because God first loved us. You know, without God first loving us, we wouldn't even be able to begin to love like him. Why? Because God's love is the source of our love. 1 John 4, 9, and 10, John states, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. These two verses talk about God's supply of love. God, God shows his love for us. He demonstrates his love by sending Jesus and taking away our sins. We receive that love by understanding our need to be forgiven and by giving ourselves to Jesus. But John doesn't end with the thought there. In verse 11, he says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, that much, we surely ought to love each other. Do you see what he's saying? Since, since we've been supplied with God's love, we now have the capacity and yes, even the duty to be suppliers of God's love. In other words, our capacity to love like him comes from him. Of course, this is just another way of saying that love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in our lives. So if you want to develop your love for others, you first must grow in your loving relationship with God. Next, you need to disconnect your pride. Pride makes us impatient. Pride makes us unkind. Pride makes us envy and it makes us boastful and self-seeking. Pride keeps a record of wrongs. Pride does not protect. It does not trust. It does not hope. Instead of persevering, pride gives up on others far too soon. Pride dismisses others. Pride tells us no one is as deserving of God as we are. If we have a problem with pride, it will be impossible for us to love like Christ. 
Pride steals appreciation and gratitude from our hearts. And without gratitude for what God has done, we can't love like we should. So first we must depend on God, then we must disconnect from pride, and next we must direct ourselves towards others. We need to be intentional on focusing on others. Richard Foster once said, one of the greatest expressions of love is simply to notice people and try to pay attention to them. Works much better if you're not paying attention to them on your phone. Try doing it in person. That doesn't sound too hard, really, does it? Pay attention. Some days it is hard. But it shouldn't be. Noticing people and paying attention to them seems to be a simple thing. But how often do we do it? When you're on your way to work, how good are you at noticing other people and how their day's going? Are you paying any attention at all? Or are you just pushing them out of the way? Right? Most likely, that's what we do. Our society teaches us to think about ourselves. Teaches us to grab as much toilet paper as we can and forget everyone else. Right? Paul in Philippians 2, 1 to 5 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's questions are rhetorical. He's saying, since you've received encouragement and comfort from being united in Christ, and since you have fellowship and tenderness and compassion from the Holy Spirit, you need to show the same love that you've received. Since you have received his love, give his love. Loving the way God wants us to love means that we must direct ourselves to think about the interests of others. And since the world teaches us to focus on ourselves, we have to be intentional in retraining ourselves to think about other people. If we aren't intentional, it won't happen. Now, this is the perfect time for us to think about others right now, isn't it? Who's a shut-in? Which one of your neighbors is elderly that you could offer to pick some groceries up for? Who can you share your stash of toilet paper with? After directing your attention, you need to take deliberate steps. You need to go into training. But your training must be slow and deliberate. You know, think back to January 1st. Some of you made New Year's resolutions to get into shape. How did you do? Don't blame it on the virus. It's a safe bet that some of you gave up a few days into the process. Why? Because most likely you went to the club and you went all out and you came back and you dropped and you ate and you pained and you got too sore and you gave up. Growing in our love is like getting back in shape. It's like running a marathon. You don't just decide to do it and put on some shoes and start running. If that's your approach, you give up before you get very far. You'll get frustrated. 
Training for a marathon is a long process. You start by jogging a short distance, and, and then over time you increase the amount you can run until you have the capacity to make it through the marathon. It takes months of dedicated training. You have to start off slow and you have to build. You must see growth as a process. You must set small goals to reach the big goal, right? Begins with a decision to become more loving. But love is like any other muscle. It must be slowly, gradually developed. Then as time goes by, you'll see your love stamina increase. Sometimes it may mean that you have to draw back a little bit and walk before you start running again. It's possible. Is it possible? It's possible. I don't have to say, is it possible? (laughs) It's possible that there are people in your life right now that you have a hard time being in the same room with let alone love. How are things going to change? They'll change by deciding to love them and then by doing something to get you on the way to developing that love. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It's a good place to start is simply just pray for them. When you pray for them, don't just pray that God will make them more lovable. Pray that God will give you the capacity to love them just as they are. That's the first and greatest step. Begin by praying and you will be amazed at how God will develop his love in you. And finally, you need to delight. Because love is never lost. Love is never lost. Look, look at the beginning of verse 8. Love never fails. It never fails. Seems like we've got all kinds of examples of love failing in our world. But Paul says it never fails. You know, the, the Greek word translated as fails means to be without an impact or effect. Agape love always has an impact. It's always effective. Sometimes it may not seem effective, but we have this promise. Love will always be effective. If it's not effective on the person we're showing it to, it will be effective on us. More likely, it will be used by God to do something to change both the giver and the receiver. Washington Irving once said, Love is never lost. If not reciprocated, it will flow back and soften and purify the heart. Love never fails. You know, this one truth alone should encourage us when showing love becomes difficult. And it will, and it is, and it will again. And it will always be in our present situation. But it's as if God is telling us, try loving and I will make sure your efforts will pay off. It's as if God is saying, I guarantee that your love will have an effect. Your efforts won't be in vain. I promise. That's the way it is with love. Love always has an effect. The more we love like Christ, the more we change others and the more we change ourselves. 
In other words, the more fruit we bear. Worship team.